everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Yu-Gi-Oh! Perspective. We are the Pioneer Perspective, but we have a little bit of a bonus treat this time around. We have our special guests, Matt and Adrian. Some names you're probably familiar with. You've heard them on this cast before. But the big thing that we all have in common is we all came into magic from Yu-Gi-Oh! That was the big thing for all of us. The first TCG we all played was Yu-Gi-Oh! And we typically love the game. And there are reasons that we stepped away from it. I don't believe any of us really play it anymore. I know Adrian, you and I, um, and then our other friend, John, we, uh, a few months ago, or right before the pandemic, I guess, we, we kind of got back into it a little bit with some like cheaper decks, but we haven't played since. And that was just like one tournament. But otherwise, Matt, Say hi. Hi. Adrian, say hi. Howdy. And my name is Brad, and we are the official podcast of the MTG Home Discord server. Even though we're talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! today, we're still doing this, and it's all made possible because of you guys, first and foremost, but of course, the MTG Home Discord server. So link in the description. You can hop in, join, and you can play some paper magic with us, and maybe you can play some paper Yu-Gi-Oh! with us, because why not? I mean, we've got webcams, right? If you have a deck, I'll, I'll break out my deck. I'll play. It actually sounds fun. I, I don't know why I've never mentioned this before. Yeah, let's play, let's play Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the listeners at this point already know the story for both Adrian and I because of my constant tellings of it as well as his telling of it when he came onto the cast for the first time of how we went from getting into Yu-Gi-Oh! into uh, Magic with the whole thing with our LGS owner um, being like, yo, play, we got promos and stuff like that. You know, this is the welcome deck kind of thing. But before we get into our, I guess, childhood about getting to Yu-Gi-Oh, um, we'll start with Matt. Matt, how did you first start playing Yu-Gi-Oh? Yu-Gi-Oh came out when I was in elementary school, or at least it became popular when I was in elementary school. I don't actually know how long Yu-Gi-Oh has been going, uh, but when I was in like second or third grade, that's when the anime, quote unquote, the cartoon came out. And it was during that time, early 2000s, where everybody was talking about two things, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. So everybody in my class played Yu-Gi-Oh. Everybody in my class played Pokemon. So we all just kind of had our decks. And during recess, it, we had a routine. We had a half hour for lunch, and then we'd have a half hour of recess. So over lunch, while we were sitting at the table eating, we'd play Pokemon. And then when we went outside, we'd sit under the under the roof of the building because it overhang, and we'd sit there and we'd play Yu-Gi-Oh. So I got into it that way and played it until I was about 16, 15, 16, somewhere in there. So, yeah. At what point, when you were 15, 16, so you and I are the same age. Actually, we were all the same age. We're all 25 here. Um, when you were 15 or 16, that would be about 10 years ago. So I put you at 2010. Yeah. You quit right when Synchros came out then, right? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, about that time, yeah. Okay. Now... Have you played it all since then? I play casually every once in a while. I have some friends who still have their decks, and every once in a while when we're bored, we'll break out our decks. I still have my entire collection, so sometimes I'll just throw together a random deck and we'll play, but I don't take it very seriously anymore. Not Definitely not to the level where I play Magic, and I don't seek out games. It's just sort of like, hey, you play Yu-Gi-Oh! I've played Yu-Gi-Oh! before, so if you want to play, I'll play. So you haven't messed around with like XYZ, Pendulum, Link Summoning and stuff like that? You know, about once a year, I'll be in I'll be in my LGS and I'll be, you know, looking at magic cards and just a random Yu-Gi-Oh card or like Yu-Gi-Oh set or, you know, 
booster pack or whatever will catch my eye and I just buy it. And I'm like, I'm going to get back into Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm going to start playing this. And, the, and then I read some of the newer cards that are just, you know, pushed to all hell. And I'm like, nope, this is not a game I enjoy anymore. Yeah. Not not to get too far ahead of ourselves when we get into uh, our likes and dislikes of Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff like that. It, it is literally power creep the game. So that's uh, that's where Magic has seemingly been heading for the last couple of years. But it looks like we'll kind of, you know, settle down next year starting with Kaldheim, but we will see. Speaking of which, have you guys seen that Kaldheim, it's like confirmed Snow Snowlancer back in Standard? Yes. I am so happy we're getting Snowlands back in Standard. The Commander decks Adrian leaked, and uh, one of the Commanders um, has the Snow symbol in their uh, ability. There, There's also some rumors. It's not confirmed. I think it was like a it was like a rumor. It was like Ice Fang Quaddle's going to be reprinted. I'm going to kill myself if that card's in standard. Fuck that card. Straight up. <laughs> no. 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 I don't want that. I, I don't even want that in Pioneer. I don't I don't want that anywhere near it. That can stay in Modern where the fuck it belongs. It got printed in a goddamn Modern Horizon set. Come on. No. No. Get out of here. I mean, you can blame me. I've been a strictly standard and Pioneer only player, basically, but... I just don't really see the point of Snowlands, I guess. Um, like, just... Snow is a cool mechanic. Why, why are you not... Uh, they just take up the place of basic lands, and it's like, just like any other card then? Yeah, they are basic lands. Yeah. Well, they are basic lands. They're, they're classified as basic Snowlands, so you can have as many of them as you want in your deck. Basically, if you're playing Snow Permanents, there's no downside to just playing all snow basics instead of regular basics. Yeah. Um, where you have some cards that they synergize with it. Obviously they have, you'll have the snow symbol on cards and it'll say like, you can pay snow uh, for this cost instead of this mana cost or whatever. Um, so it, it makes for some interesting stuff and it's just a nice extra little value. kind of thing the same way you would look at energy and stuff like that, except it's not in the form of counters. It's a straight up a, a land type. Mm. It's what makes it interesting. I see. Then you have cards like uh, Astrum Arculabe. Yeah, Ar- Arkham's Astrolabe. Oh, I dyslexic moment, my bad. <laughs> Which is my favorite card ever printed and should not be banned. Wizards, please unban. We're not going that, down the rabbit hole because <laughs> I will argue with that all night. And again, this episode is going to be the Yu-Gi-Oh! perspective, so let's back off of Calatime spoilers for now. Welcome to the Pioneer Perspective, the podcast about Pioneer, except for tonight when we talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! except for this conversation where we talk about Pioneer. Yeah, 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 that's how it works. So there's just nothing stopping me from just playing like mono black aggro, but with snow swamps instead? Yeah. Yeah, literally nothing. And you could you could just have you could just have no snow payoffs in your deck. You're just like, I just like the snow payoffs. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. I play some modern decks that I just use the snow the snow lands because I think they look nicer for the art. It doesn't affect anything. I don't have any snow permanents in them. I mean, I would probably play snow snow basics in a lot of my pioneer decks uh, just for fun. Mm-hmm. Like they're that they look cool. <laughs> well, well, now you can because they're going to be legal. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's it's exciting. Science is amazing. <laughs> Has science gone too far? Snowlands and Pioneer. <laughs> okay, so Adrian. Yes. When it came to Yu-Gi-Oh, how did you get started into it? Like, what, what what was your first experience with Yu-Gi-Oh? It was kind of the same thing, you know. Like, it was really funny how it was Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, but even though there was a Pokemon TCG, 
It was all about the video games for Pokemon. It really was. It was like the Pokemon video game and the Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG. Yeah, exactly. The Pokemon TCG was fucking confusing. Like, I remember having decks and just never playing it correctly. Right, even though it's kind of simple, I mean... Oh yeah, once you get it explained to, it's just like, <laughs> I didn't know how to set it up. Yeah, there's no one there to teach you. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Pokemon. I've played every video game they've ever put out. To this day, I don't know how to play the trading card game. It's fine. I, I got bored of it because, like, again, that's another game that Adrian and I played. Uh, John wanted to play it, and then our other friend Tyler, he's the one who pretty much got us to start playing it. I don't like it because there's no interaction. Like, the game is fun. And it's it's but it's it's just like how it would be in real life and it's it's very flavorful and real life meaning like the video games um it's flavorful in the sense of like okay i do a thing battle you do a thing battle back and forth back and forth use items use items things like that it makes sense but the, i like being able to just sometimes being like can you can you fucking stop for a second can you just not do what you're doing i'm gonna make you stop doing that i don't like this and then just going off from there so that's why, you know, Pokemon's a fun casual game for me, but I'm never going to be like a competitive Pokemon player. Also, the uh, eternal formats for Pokemon, I don't like because they're weird. They're not straight up like magic is or how Yu-Gi-Oh is just straight up everything. It's it's all in eternal format. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That's another thing I don't like about Pokemon. Except for goat format. Goat format is fun. That's the thing I do like about uh, Yu-Gi-Oh. But uh, Adrian, uh, continue, because you were talking about Pokemon being a thing. Yeah, so it was like, I liked both of the TV shows, so when whenever I came across Yu-Gi-Oh cards, it's like, okay, I can, I'd like to play this, and, you know, it's it was the cool thing that I ran a, uh, a Lord of D deck with Flute of Summoning Dragon to get out, you know, blue eyes. And I didn't have three blue eyes, so I ran red eyes, black dragon sometimes. And it was just, um, that was the popular thing in like fifth grade. Was I went to an after-school program, and so we'd just sit there and play that for a while. My biggest nostalgia trip when it comes to like playing Yu-Gi-Oh! is when you inevitably have those games where you're playing, and the card says one thing, but the anime, it did something else. So clearly we're going to be like, it's, it does the thing it did in the anime. And your friend's reading the card, like, <laughs> it doesn't say any of that. And you're like, but it does this. I saw it. I watched the show. <laughs> <laughs> like Pyramid of Light was absolutely broken in the anime. It did like 12 different things and it summoned like the gods and all that. But in the actual game, it's like a garbage trap card. <laughs> it's it's horrible. I don't even remember what it does. I just remember looking at it every time and be like, why are you just bad? <laughs> Um, oh, and uh, I remember tributing really confusing me um, when it came to tributing other people's monsters. So, like, Lava Golem. Oh, yeah, Soul Exchange. Well, no, yeah, that too. Soul Exchange was the OG. But when Lava Golem first came out, I had the card, and I, I loved the art. It was one of my favorite cards growing up, and it was foiled. It was just I was like, this is so nice. And uh, I still have that original uh, Lava Golem. And it says the effect is, you know, tribute to monsters your opponent controls and then special summon this card to their side of the field or, or it says like under their control and i'm reading that as a kid and i'm like that can't be right you would never like give your you would never give your opponent <laughs> this card it has three thousand attack and then have the thing and then it also says the effect of like if um every every standby phase they take a thousand 
from the, the controller it takes a thousand from Avagolm. So you could, if you're doing a prisony deck where you, okay, kill your creatures, give you this big boy. I'm making it so you can't attack me with this 3000. Eventually you burn them out from the Lava Golem unless they can tribute it. I, st- I still use Lava Golem when I do like, <laughs> yeah. It's great. But I was sitting there reading that as a kid and I was like, you know, there's no way I would give my opponent a 3000 attack monster. So what I'm going to do when I'm playing, I'm going to tribute two of their monsters, special summon it on my side of the field. And on top of that, and on top of that, they still take the thousand every turn. <laughs> and I played with that card for like years, like, like doing that. Cause I never went to like an LGS or actually played with like people. It was just friends. And everyone's just like, I guess that makes sense. It's a really good card. <laughs> so Matt, back to you now. When it comes down to you playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and you stopped around 2015, or you were 15 or 16, so you stopped around 2010. Mm-hmm. Why did you stop? It just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying the game anymore. Um, it got, you know, when you're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old and you're playing with friends, it becomes fun. When you're 15, 16 and you're playing against other people in high school, they get very competitive. And people who know me know I'm not a competitive person. I like to just play decks that are fun to play. So I got, I just, it got to the point where it just wasn't fun for me anymore because I was never winning, which isn't the biggest deal. But on top of that, you know, teenagers aren't exactly the nicest people on the planet. So, you know, you, you get a lot of shit if you're not playing you know, top tier decks all the time. So I just kind of, I got out of it. I tried a different TCG that was also kind of popular at the time. That was called Redemption. I'm sure somebody out there has heard of this game. I swear, I've looked it up. I cannot find it. Apparently it like came and disappeared like within a couple of months. And I've tried to find it online a few times and I cannot find it. But it was a a trading card game. it's similar to Magic, but it also has like Yu-Gi-Oh like elements, so it's kind of like a bridge between those two games. But so I tried to play that, I just couldn't get into it, and then I just kind of got out of trading card games in general for a while and just stuck to video games and things like that. So this wasn't a thing where you basically were um playing Yu-Gi-Oh and then you picked up another trading card game while you were playing Yu-Gi-Oh and transitioned to a game that you thought was better. This was when you just flat out I don't really want to play this game at all anymore. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Now, uh, actually, you mentioned mentioned video games. Uh, y'all remember uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duels of the Roses? Yes. That was a great game. Where you actually, like, this giant board, and it's like you move the cards. It's like it's like uh, XCOM as Yu-Gi-Oh! It was so weird. Yeah, it was. That was an interesting game. But, like, you still had a hand. You still had an opening hand like Yu-Gi-Oh! And it played just like Yu-Gi-Oh! The catch was when you summoned a monster, it became like a monster you moved around like it was XCOM. <laughs> It was so goofy. It was basically Dungeon Dice Monsters from the anime, from the Yu-Gi-Oh! anime. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It was, I, I think I actually watched a streamer play that. Yeah, it's a, it was a cool, cool game. I had the Kaiba the Awakening computer game as a kid where you could build all the decks and play against Kaiba's deck. And you can only play against Kaiba's deck because they went the Pokemon route and they made different games for Yu-Gi-Oh, Joey, and Kaiba. And you had to buy each one to play against <laughs> the different ones. So you could only ever play against Kaiba, and you'd start out just super underpowered, just having like a base deck. And then over time, you could basically collect any card in the game. And then it wasn't even a challenge anymore. Like he'd play his Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon, and he'd be like, well, I have Kazijin 
that fusion thing. So I win. No, just just throw a Karibu at him and multiply it a billion times. That's that's how that card works. So yeah, like right, <laughs> right. Just play the crush card virus. I do love how Karibu plugs up the the eyes in Millennium Eyes. <laughs> oh yeah. Or when, or what's the card that like they it, it infects? And for those of you who uh, aren't familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh or didn't watch the anime, um, we're making a joke about how the anime portrays cards, like I was saying earlier, doing one thing that is completely not how they work in the actual game. So, for example, there is an episode where Yugi um, was playing Kaiba, and Kaiba plays Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon, which is this big, giant, three-headed blue eyes it's a fusion card combining three regular blue eyes white dragons has 4500 attack it's a big boy it's hard to kill well you know in the og Yu-Gi-Oh. and the way that they beat kaiba is by using karibo which is a garbage garbage card um uh, adrian do you remember the actual effect on the top of your head the actual effect of uh, karibo it, it it was something about not taking damage so you're thinking of two different battles he does that against a regular blue eyes dragon when he when he does blue eyes ultimate dragon he fuses it with his mammoth graveyard oh he infects it yeah and he infects it and then he slowly starts cutting off the (laughs) head that's even stupider that one's even stupid because each head only has 1500 attack points because it's three monsters fused together oh my god and it it gets weaker and it gets weaker every turn i hate that so much i hate that but the karibo thing was it was against the karibo thing was he was playing against a blue eyes white dragon and he plays karibo and then plays multiply so like a million karibo just spawn and basically he just makes up this rule that says as long as one karibo is alive it means that none of the damage got through to him. <laughs> and since the Kribos multiply faster than the dragon can attack, they he can never take damage again, basically. Yeah, it, it just straight up said, fuck the phases of this game. It's just, whatever. We're, we're Dragon Ball Super now. I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> I, like, I, I do want to bring up, on two occasions during Duel's Kingdom, Yugi was like, I'm shooting this catapult turtle at something. <laughs> <laughs> twice twice he did this first he shot against the ring around the uh the castle of illusions which again the castle of illusions does not do what it does in that battle and in the show it doesn't do anything that this, they say it does it's so stupid <laughs> and he's like okay i have a catapult turtle and th- then like he shoots it and like the the, the his opponent's like you fool you missed you're horrible and then he's like but wait, and then the ring falls off of the, the, the castle, and he's like, what did you do? And the castle just starts breaking, because the ring fell off, and it ruined all the other cards, and you're like, this is so stupid, you can't, you <laughs> It's like treating the ring around the castle as one card, and the castle itself as a separate card, and you destroyed the other card. It doesn't make sense. They literally called the ring the flotation ring. Yes. And then when it fell off, remember, it doesn't fall right away because Swords of Revealing Light is holding it. Yes! Up. Yes! <laughs> 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 and then the other one where he's playing against Mako, the fisherman dude, and he's like, I'm firing Catapult Turtle at the moon! It's controlling the tides! and Because <laughs> there was a full moon that made the tides raise. And like it made his water Pokemon, <laughs> Pokemon his water monsters, stronger. <laughs> It's like, this is so stupid. They did not follow the rules at all. 
None whatsoever. Myself. <laughs> God. No, he doesn't shoot catapult turtle at it. He uses his giant soldier of stone and stabs it with the sword. Are you sure? I'm ninety nine percent sure he shoots it with catapult turtle. Yes. No, because I'm I'm literally picturing the giant stone sword sticking straight up through the moon. Like he stabs it through and through. He uses catapult turtle against Joey in the semifinals. Okay, I know he had a weird like fetish with catapult turtle in the show where he like just kept using it. I just like when Kaiba said that he was just going to kill himself if it didn't let him win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the shock might make me fall off. <laughs> you you can attack me if you the, sh- the the holographic shockwaves from these holographic creatures might make me fall off the castle. No, you're going to throw yourself off the castle. That's how that's going to work. You could argue he's like, he's such a piece of shit where he just knew that uh, Yugi wouldn't let him kill himself because he thought he was playing against Yugi still and not Yami because for some reason no one can see this dude fucking transform next to them to this fucking 6'7 dude when Yugi or Yami was fucking 4'11. Like, everyone's just like, yeah, that's normal. 100% normal. And his voice gets like triple deep. Like he just goes from sounding like a like a prepubescent 11 year old to sounding like a full grown man. Yami, we can't do this. We can't do this. Stop. Yugi, you're a bitch. And he's like, just, he's trying to kill Kaiba. And I'm like, yeah, kill him. Kill him. <laughs> yeah. Yami would have said, let him die. <laughs> he, he was about to. But yeah, y- uh, Yugi like broke through the possession. He's like, no. Oh, I'm sorry. No. And then he broke through. And he's like, and he's like, stop. He starts crying, sobbing those disgusting anime tears that you have. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Anime crying is gross. That's one of the most disgusting crying because there's like, friend, and I'm I'm so awful. I wish I was more like you. And they start screaming and yelling. God. Oh. What a fun show that was. But anyway. Adrian, I think Craig left. God, I wish he left. (laughs) (laughs) Adrian, so we have Matt who basically said, fuck you, I don't want to play anymore. And then found Magic way later after that. You and I, it's a little different. We started playing Magic, and this happened to you first. I kind of followed suit afterwards. We both started playing Magic at the same time. I kind of fell off and stopped playing for almost a year. And you were still playing. Uh, so you play through the entirety of like Ixalan Dominaria standards um, where like after Rivals of Ixalan, that's when I stopped playing, like after that pre-release. So when it comes to you, what made you just go full on in with Magic over Yu-Gi-Oh? Like, why did you say like, I'm picking this game over the other one? A few reasons, I guess. Uh, there's, and this varies from standard to standard, but one of them was the... Uh, price point, I was pretty poor um, when we were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, but the, the thing about Yu-Gi-Oh! is the decks don't rotate, mm-hmm. which is a blessing and a curse. Because the decks may not rotate, but that means every single new set, it's like the new meta deck. Exactly. So that's one of the things that kind of... I still had my deck, but it increasingly got lower power just because of the new cards being printed, which is, you know, it's kind of like a pseudo-rotation if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, it functions like a genuine rotation because it's like, yeah, your cards are legal, but why would you play them? Right. Um, So, and at that point, it was like uh, the staples that you needed for your deck, they were reaching like 70 bucks a copy, you know? 
and I just couldn't keep up. Uh, Ash Blossom with Joy of Spring. Yeah. Um, so what pushed me more to Magic, um, if we're being honest, is financially because uh, I'm uh, the electrostatic pummeler guy. At our LGS, someone came in, sold the deck as was to um, our LGS owner who I was cool with. And when he was, you know, teaching us how to play, he was like, oh, you know, our LGS, uh, uh, shout out to Oblivion Games. They put together Yu-Gi-Oh decks because they're more of a Yu-Gi-Oh store. They put together pre-made Yu-Gi-Oh decks for people to buy, you know, it's like, Basically, just a bare-bones blueprint of all the staples of that deck. Well, they had one one day where it was a Magic deck because someone sold it to them. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll take it and learn it and try to play Magic. And and so that kind of got me into it because it was like 60 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I remember being at the LGS with you when you bought it. Not only that day that you bought it, but I remember being at the LGS with you in general when that deck was chilling in that magic case for like about a week. And you just, for like a couple of days, you're like, I kind of want to get it. I remember you talking about it. <laughs> and then also I just see you like, like hunch over, over the, uh, the counter and I'm like, oh, he's getting it. <laughs> he's getting the deck. I was like, I'm pulling the trigger. <laughs> Another thing to shout out about the, uh, about Oblivion is uh, when it comes to the employees, especially Raul, the, uh, the owner, they would spend time, like, he, he obviously he loves Magic. I, I think at the time that was his favorite uh, card game. Um, it might not be anymore. He hasn't played nearly as much. But he loved the game, and he was really happy and excited to get new people to play it. And he also loved Yu-Gi-Oh, too. But the thing about Magic is, like, he would sit down and, like, help us for, like, an hour building a deck like behind the counter and just like he would just go run off he, like he'd light bulb going to say he's like oh you need this card you need this card you need this card and he was so happy and so excited to like help us build the deck because we're not familiar with the staples but he was at least for the standards and i, I remember like when tyler got his first deck he we were actually getting a little pissed off at tyler because he was taking so long uh, we we're like we kind of just want to play and it took tyler about an hour like of just talking with raul and like getting cards like and this is he, he had a sale but like in that hour, he easily could have helped out four or five other people. That would have been probably more money than what Tyra spent on a, on a budgety standard deck. But he was so passionate about it and was so excited to get people to play that he took the time. And that's why we kept going back because we, we, we had, they had a great owner with, in him. And the staff in general were people that you could just consider friends and not just people that worked there. But that was a great thing about that place. For sure. Now, when it comes to once you start playing Magic... What made you not go back to Yu-Gi-Oh? Because obviously now you're in a better position financially, so you could afford to play Yu-Gi-Oh um, if you wanted to. So why not go back now? So the thing that really uh, just keeps me on Magic is I have more of a chance on a game-by-game -game basis, I guess you can say. Because Yu-Gi-Oh, it's really... Actually, I'll say this for... Um, I don't know how it is currently with the Yu-Gi-Oh meta. But when I stopped playing, and the last time I actually looked at the meta, it was really, you know, who wins the coin flip and builds their board, and then you can't really break it. It's, do you have the hand trap? If not, well, your opponent has five monsters out on their first turn, and good luck getting through. In Magic, the appeal to me was 
um, really lands in mana and having to spend resources on your cards and to play them. Whereas Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of has that with sacrificing, you know, but it's a lot faster, a lot more swingy and one-turn things, you know, where in Magic, I know that I'm not going to die until, like, turn four in 99% of games, you know? Like, when you lose to, like, a combo-ish deck in Magic, that kind of thing, like, it can kind of suck and it feels bad and there's always that little bit of, like, I don't know if I'm going to lose or not. Um like, do you know when to scoop kind of thing? Like, Lotus Combo has that in Pioneer, where, like, they start going off, and there's not really an inevitable moment until, at least when, at least now, when they're playing Underworld Breach, you saw them resolve Breach, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm done scooping. But with Yu-Gi-Oh!, it's just, like, you have to kind of fight through it, because you possibly can, and it's grindier, in a sense, for a turn, if that makes sense. It's, like, it's, like, grindy for a turn where you start trying to break their board but once they say no you're you're done you can't recover there's not there's not a top deck in Yu-Gi-Oh even cards like Regeki and stuff like that or Dark Hole things that just sweep the board or at least you know a one side of wrath for your opponent and Regeki those don't really matter anymore in today's game because you have easy ways to just negate it and because there's no mana system in Yu-Gi-Oh you can just freely use your spells at will if they have the uh, the correct uh, chain speed, which for those of you not familiar, uh, instead of the stack, it's called chaining. So imagine how in magic you have the stack, the first thing goes, and then the thing next thing happens that goes on top, and it's like you keep stacking them up, 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 and then from top down, that's how the resolve uh, trigger, um, or the triggers resolve. In magic, or I'm sorry, in Yu-Gi-Oh, it's chaining, where it's like okay, here's chain link one. So now instead of it being a stack, it's a chain link. And then it goes chain link two. It's the next part of the link, chain link three. And then it drops down from chain link three backwards. And then you have things that are called spell speeds. Spell speeds one, two, and three. Where like you have a quick effect. Uh, a quick effect is spell speed uh, two. Where a counter trap, where it's not just a, a flip up trap, that's spell speed one actually and then a counter trap that has a nice little arrow in the top right teeny tiny little arrow is specifically spell speed three and it's one of the only things there's spell speed three so that's another weird thing to learn because it's not like as simple as magic because we get confused by the stack as is as magic players sometimes where it can be kind of weird with like things like especially when you have like split second effects and things like that and all that but we kind of have it easy because adrian do you remember going through chain links and then also have to understand spell speeds and also have to know what had what spell speed at all times and just getting confused by that because now you have to keep track of essentially the stack like from magic but it's not as simple as like okay i have an instant speed you have an instant speed back and forth no no no. you try to counter something and then you're like you can't and you're like but why not this thing says counter that well you can't because this is a counter trap it's spell speed three it can only be countered by other spell speed three equivalents, you can't use your negate effect um, on a like a on a discard uh, like a hand trap, even though the effect works against it technically. Yeah, then there are things that it's like, oh no, that creates a new chain link. Yeah, but you still have your existing one, and you're just like, Ugh. yeah. Could you imagine playing Magic and then like you're saying like usually it's just it's just the stack. Could you imagine 
playing and it's like, okay, this is stack number one. This has created a new stack on the side, but stack one's still happening. So this is interjected in a separate chain link event. And it's just like, that's where Yu-Gi-Oh gets really convoluted and weird. And that's why when I came over to Magic, I was like overthinking everything. I was overthinking how everything functioned. And Raul had to like sit me down and be like, the card is as literal as it can get in this game. It's not like Yu-Gi-Oh, where it's you have to like read you have to read the subtext of the fucking card to understand what the card does. <laughs> can you infer what the artist and what Konami meant when they said do this? When they said the color of this card is blue, do you know why and what emotion they were feeling at the time when they wrote that? That's how you resolve the trigger. What? <laughs> Like, God, the game gets so convoluted. It's, it's like you got to think about lore. It's like, who who would actually win in the lore? Uh, that's who would win in this fight you're having right now. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter, though, because you still lose, because they just say, yeah, but that's the wrong spell speed. <laughs> you figured out how it works, but it's the wrong spell speed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Adrian, you and I quit Yu-Gi-Oh! officially close to the same time. I mean, I still played Yu-Gi-Oh! for maybe about a year after you quit um but i wasn't playing nearly as much is there anything about Yu-Gi-Oh that you wish was actually in magic is there anything about Yu-Gi-Oh that you wish like was actually like a part of the game whether it's gameplay itself and matt i'll ask you the same question um or even if it's just how konami does things versus how wizards does things so with the way that Yu-Gi-Oh is set up because there's no rotation it's I like how Konami handles their reprints. Whereas, yes, Magic needs reprints. Yes, we all see the internet personalities begging for, you know, Fetchlands. Like, yes, we get it. Fetchlands, yes, we get it. Fetchlands, you want them. Because Yu-Gi-Oh! has no rotation, and eventually they would be, like, in the same situation. All right, here's all your Fetchlands and these intro decks that cost $15 on Walmart. Like, have fun. Yeah, they're just a common now. So if you want the shiny ones, you just gotta pay 30 bucks. Right. It's nice that Yu-Gi-Oh! has that, you know, but I still attribute it to it being a different rotation format, so to say. Whereas, I, I wish Magic kind of had something similar with their reprints, where they would reprint highly sought after cards in set uh decks like that you know i'm not gonna crack a box just to get one of the fetch lands that i need you know and that's the cool thing about Yu-Gi-Oh! is they'll be like okay here they even did this recently with here's a structure deck with basically all of the of the staples that you need, all of the hand traps that you could ever need. Here it is. Like, here's a structure deck. Go nuts. And I wish Magic would do kind of something like that with their supplemental products. You know, Shocklands are big in Pioneer. And um, they get close, but it's not the same because you might have, like, we had the Brawl decks come out last year, right? Right. And they all had a Shockland in them. But the Brawl decks are also about 40 bucks around that. Um, yeah. And, well, we could, you could target and mark them down to like 20 bucks at one point, and people went crazy and got them then. Um, but still, they were originally like 40 bucks, 30, 40 bucks. So 
you're getting a shock land that's worth eight, ten dollars while it's in standard in a thirty dollar deck. Whereas in Yu-Gi-Oh, if you buy a structure deck, let's say remember when dinos came out when we were playing Adrian, when the dino structure deck came out? Yeah. What did everyone do? Everyone bought three of those things. Three of them. Because you buy three of them and you get a playset of every card. And what does that cost you? 30 bucks. And you have a competitive deck that has an upgrade path. Yeah. When Alex and I were doing the episode a few weeks ago, where it was the Welcome to Pioneer episode, saying how you want to be able to build your collection and look forward to getting into the format and like making a deck. If you're going to go with a budget deck and you have to have some financial restrictions for yourself, try to choose a deck that has a linear upgrade path where it's very simple. 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there, and your deck gets better and it stays as a functionally same deck. Yu-Gi-Oh! is one of the best card games for that. You get three structure decks for a deck that is competitive already out of those boxes. You just leave them up. And then you have an upgrade path to go get your hand traps, to go get your maybe like a Regeki if it was viable in that format. Or like, uh, you know, your your traps like Psalm Strike, Psalm Morning, that kind of thing. Or Psalm Judgment, which is now at three, which is amazing. But you have an upgrade path and it's there. If Magic could do that same thing, it'd be wonderful. But we don't. We have the Challenger decks. But again, you're not going to buy three Challenger decks because they have play sets of a lot of cards in there. But then they have that Chase Mythic. That's a one of. Like Brazen Barnor or Embercleave. Or Hazra, if you go back to the old ones. They only come out once a year as well as the Challenger decks. And that is as close as we get to having a product like Yu-Gi-Oh! puts out. Where it's like ready off the shelf. And even then, even then, Wizards is like, eh, we might do it. We, not, we might not. And it's, it's really frustrating because, like you were talking about the Brawl decks that had one shock land apiece, you know. It's like... Oh, yeah, all the other cards in the Brawl deck, pretty much unplayable. Like, you're not going to play these in your standard deck. You're not going to play these in Pioneer, except for Corvold, which is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know? <laughs> like, it, it, it's frustrating when that happens, because they're like, oh, yeah, we don't even know if we're putting out Challenger decks this year. The one product that may be... To have an F&M ready deck. That, that's good for budget players. And not only would they have to make Challenger decks, like, good they'd have to make them affordable. Yeah. The thing about Wizards that you can say is far worse than Konami, Wizards is hypocritical in the sense of recognizing the secondary market. They will, in their corporate speak, maybe because of legality reasons, because they have to deny that it exists, they will sit there and say all day that, or they'll beat around the bush and avoid talking about the secondary market. But then... They do things with their business practices that completely shows you that they are well aware of the secondary market and they intend to treat it as a cash grab because look at the fetch land secret layer. Oh, yeah. They knew what they were doing. There's a reason they came up with that price. It wasn't an arbitrary number that they just kind of took out of thin air and said, yeah, that, that seems right for a fetch land. They're well aware of people wanting fetch land reprints. Every time the new set was coming out or they were announcing a set, they had to say like several times, like for Zendikar Rising, for example, they had to say in all their blog posts, like on Wizards website, no, the fetch lands are not in the set. No, they're not in the set. Stop asking us about the fetch lands. Like they preemptively would be like, no, shut up. Like they know what these cards do in the secondary market. 
but then they for legality reasons they'll dance around it where konami is just like yeah our game's expensive the secondary market's 100 percent a thing but we'll reprint stuff eventually so it'll go down they're straight up about it so you can respect that a bit more and again they're both businesses and they both have shady practices because that's how it works but at least konami reprints stuff into the ground and it seems like if it was the same thing for magic like if they were like yeah okay we'll start reprinting that i feel like people would get I, I feel like some people would get mad where it's like well that's ruining the secondary market all of my expensive cards just got less expensive a la the reserve list and people would get upset about that yeah mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a catch-22 for for wizards if you think about it you know which that comes that comes down to the culture of the games and the player bases. Like magic players care about that kind of stuff. Ooh, my collection. Where Yu-Gi-Oh players are like, I'm kind of bummed that my deck that I dropped 500 bucks on is now worth 200 bucks, but at least people can play it. The one thing I will say about wizards having cards that they don't reprint is that obviously for economical reasons, I would love for them to reprint these expensive cards that you have to pay that they don't acknowledge exist, but know that they exist. But at the same time. When you crack open that random booster pack that you bought for $5 and you find a $30 card in there, there's nothing that feels more satisfying. So that's that's basically the only way I can defend it is like, while you're giving people that little bit of a high of like, I paid $5 and got a $30 card and the rest of it's just bonus. But the downside is that's literally gambling. It is. Like it's, it's, it's legalized gambling for children. It is. And that's... It's it's a predatory uh, predatory thing, and just like loot boxes in a lot of these uh, games, where you can argue like loot boxes and free to play games are necessary, kind of. Um, it makes more money. That's why you see games use these arbitrary numbers for like uh, like gems and uh, and and gold. If you look at like arena, there's a reason that when you buy gems, you get this weird kind of amount it's not an even number it's like you get like set 3200 gems and then there's a reason when you're spending stuff like or spending your gems all of a sudden you're left with like 55 and you're like how did that happen and then what happens you now then you want you end up being like 100 gems short exactly to get something that's on sale or whatever and you're like i guess i have to go buy not 100 gems to get up to where you exactly need to needed to be but 600 gems and then the cycle repeats. Like, at least I can respect Starbucks in this sense, because they do this with real money. If you ever download Starbucks's app, you can pay from your phone on the app, and they'll scan it. But you don't link a card to it in that sense. Well, actually, you do. You type in your debit card information, you type in your card or even your bank account. The problem is, though, they don't pull it exactly amount or the exact amount from your card. If you buy a $5.32 drink, it's not pulling that. It's saying, would you like to add money to your Starbucks account? What can I add it in? Well, you can do it in 10, 15, 20, 25 dollars. And that's it. So when you're spending money on Starbucks and all of a sudden you're left with a dollar twenty-eight and you can't get a drink, you infinitely will always have a teeny tiny bit of money left over that you cannot spend at all. So you have to add ten dollars again. Add ten dollars again, and you, and they have a mode where you can turn it on where it automatically adds the next thing up. So when you're when you're about to buy something and you don't have enough, it's like, yep, add ten. But at least they're doing that with flat out real money. Yeah, I was gonna say you could just still pay with your debit card. <laughs> exactly, you still get your drink. Like where like I can't buy the exact 
I can't straight up buy these cool lands I want. They they did it with the Euro lands on Arena right now. I actually bought one of them. They're really cool. But they don't do it with all of them. I can't go buy the Theros lands. I can't go buy uh, Unset lands that they have. They're in the game. You know what you can get? What's that? Is the free Bob Ross lands with uh, code? Hold on. I'm trying to do a fake plug here. That didn't work. <laughs> I didn't have the code pulled up. <laughs> Happy little trees or something. Happy tree friend. Happy little codes uh, for your planes. Delightful meadow and happy swamp. <laughs> Go to MTG at home, the Discord server. Go to our general chat and check the pins and all of the codes for all of the Bob Ross lands are pinned in the general chat. Woo. Yeah, there we go. Great plug for us. So you want your free lands? That's the easy. Don't, don't Google them. Join MTG at home. Check the pins in the general chat and they're there. And then while you're there, might as well stop by and play some magic. Yeah. And that's why we're here and doing this podcast today. Now, we wanted to keep this one a little shorter. Um, because it's just a bonus cast and we're just talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! Again, that's not even about what this podcast is about. Matt, was there any other things that you would like to see Wizards do that Konami does or that Yu-Gi-Oh! does? Yes, I'll keep I'll keep it brief. There are, there are two things, but they're both relatively simple. Uh, the first one is I would like... Because when you buy a Yu-Gi-Oh! card, it doesn't matter if that card's been printed in a thousand different sets and has a thousand different arts. It has all of its Oracle text... Still, well, the Yu-Gi-Oh! equivalent of Oracle, of Oracle text anyway, it has it all printed right there. And they don't use keywords in Yu-Gi-Oh! There are a couple that are kind of quote-unquote keywords, like flip and and things like that, but they don't use like keyword keywords, like Magic does. So I would like to see Magic do something like that for newer players, because at this point, you know, seasoned Magic players know what flying means, they know what vigilance means, they know what these things mean. But if you're introducing somebody new to magic, they see something like Elder Gargaroth that has reach, vigilance, trample, and they're like, I don't know what any of these words mean. And there's nothing on the card that tells that explains it to you. So you have to go somewhere else. So I'd like to see magic do something like that where you can stick the reminder text on the card still. I know that'll be annoying for the players who understand what it does and it makes the text smaller because they have to fit more on it and all that. But that would be nice, at least in like beginner products like challenger decks or uh you know beginner decks like that to have that on there and the second is Yu-Gi-Oh is not afraid to experiment with new card types you know you started out you had the four basic ones you had magic trap spell creature then they added in different types of creatures different types of spells different types of all of these things whereas magic Sure, they gave us Planeswalkers like five years ago, and then we haven't seen a new card type since. Yeah. And I'd like to see more of that. They substitute that for, I guess, mechanics, which is where you get the uniqueness, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. It'd be nice to see a new card type. It seems like we haven't had one in a while. We get like new subtypes because we got vehicles with Kaladesh, I think is when vehicles became a thing and equipment and all that, but we don't get new super types of like, you know, instead of it being a creature or an enchantment or a land, it's this completely new thing that's never been printed before. I don't know what, what it would be. That's not my job, but wizards, please give us a new card type. I'm sure they thought about it. I just don't know what, what they could do. Like, what would you have it be? What would you have it look like? Now the problem on the flip side of that though, is if they were to do that, if you look at Yu-Gi-Oh!, 
it's pushed a lot of older players away from the game with these introductions of cards. Like you saw that with, you know, it started out with just, you had fusion cards and you have an extra deck for the fusion cards. And then that's all it was. You need polymerization to even do that. Then they started adding cards that just abuse fusion cards. Okay, cool. Then they're like, okay, well now we're going to go into a new thing. It's called uh, synchros. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, what does this do? And then it has a whole new wave summoning stuff. And then they're like, but wait, we have another one. Let's do uh, XYZs. Everyone's like, what? So then the overlay thing was weird. And then you have uh, pendulums that came out, which broke the game when pendulums came out. Um, and then you had links, which completely changed how the game was played to the point that they actually reverted the rule change that they made for links and how link summoning worked to not restrict decks anymore in the extra card zone, except for pendulums, because they have to keep pendulums in check because they're stupid. So when you have all these different new cards that are so, so meta-defining and changing, like, could you imagine if they, like, do you think Planeswalkers are a meta-defining, changing thing? I don't think so. I do. Why? Because they just flat out make decks things. Mono green Planeswalkers and Pioneer doesn't exist if Planeswalkers don't exist. Okay. And you still have decks that function without Planeswalkers, right? Yeah, there are still decks that function without Planeswalkers, and I don't know. I wasn't around in Yu-Gi-Oh! When pe- anymore when Pendulums came out, but I would imagine that there was probably at least a couple decks that didn't use Pendulums to win. Yes, but they use the other ones, though. Like, you you have all of them, and now now you need links. But you flat out need them, because they make you do combos. Yeah, I did a little bit of research today, just looking at the current Yu-Gi-Oh! meta, because I knew we were recording this tonight. And man, am I glad I don't play Yu-Gi-Oh! anymore because... And it's not that it's bad. It's just that I was looking at it and I don't understand what these cards are anymore. And that goes to my original point. It, it pushes older players away from it. The ones that grew up playing the game for the first time. And we talk about... I'm not saying we need a new type every set or even every year or anything like that. But just, you know, every once in a while, throw something new at us. Throw, Give us something new. Like... Even if it's just a one-off, like if they had never printed any more vehicles again after Kaladesh, would anybody really be that upset if if vehicles was a Kaladesh only thing? You'd have people really asking Morrow to make a storm scale on it. Because <laughs> cause that would that would make it not meta-defining because it's limited to one set, which means after a year or two, it's not even going to be in standard anymore. Hmm. And that gives people time to figure it out, but it's still a cool new type that we get to play around with for a little while, which I think would be cool. I just, I just like the idea of not just having sorcery, instant creature, enchantment, artifact, land as the only types and planeswalker. Yeah, I get that. And real quick, I just want to mention that Morrow did actually do a storm scale on vehicles like that. He did a Kaladesh storm scale, and vehicles were like a a four or something like that. And of course, here they are again. We have them, but. We're going to kind of cut this one short. Like I said, we don't want to ramble too long about a card game that isn't even about what this podcast is based on. The last thing I just want to say is I want to see Wizards just be more aggressive with bannings. And I think they have been lately. But, okay, let me rephrase. Not aggressive in the sense of just ban happy, ban everything, but more comfortable and less afraid of it. Where, like, they're so afraid of, like, backlash. Where Yu-Gi-Oh! is like, don't care, ban them. And people are like, yeah, we expect that. Not just banning, but like limiting and semi-limiting, like Yu-Gi-Oh does. I wish we would see more of that in in Magic. Um, I think it'd be interesting. Like you can have two copies of Teferi, or like that's an interesting thing to to explore. 
I try it, see how it works. Yeah, basically the the limiting system in Yu-Gi-Oh is basically what it is in Vintage for Magic. Of there's a list of cards where you can't have a full playset; you can only have one or two. Yeah, like the Power Nine. Which in Yu-Gi-Oh, a playset is three, not four, usually. So one card in a sixty-card deck versus one card in a forty-card deck is a big difference in terms of like the very uh, the probability of getting it. Yes, it is. Imagine having four in a forty-card deck; you'd basically just have the 10 best cards in your deck but at the end of the day if you like playing Yu-Gi-Oh and you like playing magic it doesn't matter like you can enjoy whatever hobby you want we're just giving our reasonings as to why we got out of the game and chose magic instead and my biggest thing was like magic feels like you're playing chess where Yu-Gi-Oh felt like you're playing checkers but every single piece is a triple stack king like all of them they all just do that that was like the biggest thing for me but again the great thing about having hobbies you can do whatever you want and if you want to hop into the server like we've talked about before, we can play Yu-Gi-Oh too. If you want to hit me up and play some Yu-Gi-Oh, I'll, I'll grab my deck. I'll play some webcam Yu-Gi-Oh. But reminders, out the door, because I know Matt is definitely going to say he's going to play Yu-Gi-Oh. But speaking of you, Matt, where can people find you if they want to you know, listen to more of uh, your opinions? And uh, uh, I'll be at wrong opinions, like how you treat life when it comes to uh, magic. But we're not going to talk about that. Uh, well, you can find me on Discord in the MTG at Home server. I'm at Maddie Boy. Um, if you want to hear me talk about Pioneer, I would, did pretty much the first 15 episodes of the Pioneer Perspective with Brad and Alex, and I'm still on there sometimes as a guest, so you can check me out there. And yeah, that's where you can find me. All right, Adrian, where can people find you and listen to you ramble about things that are not magic-related? Because I know on social media, you basically don't talk about magic at all <laughs> I, I don't i don't really post much on social media i'm just a friend of the show you can follow me on instagram twitter at adrian's happy i am a regular person <laughs> but i will come occasionally and share my opinions on magic which if the new set's coming out. I, I love uh, doing spoiler casts. So I think, I think we're going to try and bring you on for the spoiler cast as well. And I'm going to try to get Matt on too for that. And maybe we can do all four of us on the uh, top 10 one, but I'm probably going to re- reduce it to like a top seven, top eight instead to like speed it along. Cause we made that a long episode when it was a top 10 for three of us. Arbitrary top eight. Why not just do top five, Brad? <laughs> that, that way it's a nice round number. I like top eight. <laughs> <laughs> i don't have a reason just like a tournament and then we can pit all of our cards against each other that would be real fun actually yeah well what we're gonna do when caldine drops for the spoilers for that or when we do our our um what's it called our top 10 top whatever number <laughs> we're gonna review our zendikar rising ones so we're gonna go back and look at all of our lists myself alex and matt and be like let's see if any of these came true and then laugh when we look at some of them and be like that was a miss that was a horrible mess. <laughs> My number one cut. Your number one and sees zero play. Yeah, I know. I'm the only one who's played it. <laughs> uh, was it Jace? No, it was Ashaya. Oh, Ashaya. I was so convinced that card was going to break mono green, and then it just never even saw play. Mine has seen fringe play. Uh, it might get better. <laughs> Mine, uh, my top three were pretty much all the same thing, Adrian. They're all two mana cards, all two mana creatures. Uh, top Three was yeah, all two mana black cards. No, no, one was a black card <laughs> or red. One was a red card. <laughs> it was uh, so number three was No Priest of Oblivion, yep. the uh, vampire that can uh, kick and go grab a card from the graveyard. 
Uh, otherwise, it's a 2-1 Menace Lifelinger um, for two. The number two was um, uh, the blue one. The blue one. The blue one that has the Neoform combo in Historic. Oh, my God. Not the crab. Yeah, the crab. Uh, the crab. What's what's the blue what's the blue bolt land called? Uh it's uh Seagate Stormcaller is what it was. So number two is Seagate Stormcaller for me, um, which has seen zero, zero play in Pioneer, but it, it spawned an entire deck. It spawned an entire deck in, in historic. So that's that's a card that I did acknowledge was probably gonna be a card that definitely gets better as Pioneer gets older. So we'll see. And we'll see it a year and a half from now in standard, uh, breaking the format. <laughs> uh, my number one was Magmatic Chandler. Wasn't number one. What the hell is that? It's a red card, a two mana, two mana one three, um, that has tap, exile the top card of your library. You may cast it, like like uh, Chandra Torture Defiance uh, is possibility. Which has seen a bit of play in Prowess and Burn Debts. Yeah, and like it, and even Rakdos Pyromancer saw it play a little bit. And it definitely it sees play in um and is a Phoenix in some of those builds if is a Phoenix is around. Um and then there's another line of text at the bottom that says when you have I think it's a certain amount of uh sorceries and instants in your graveyard, it gets plus plus uh three plus one becomes a four four permanently. Yeah. So I think that's a cool card. Nice value engine and stuff like that. But that one is, I, I would still call it a miss, especially for saying it was my number one card. Maybe not a number one. But speaking of places you can find people, you can find me on any form of social media at Bradcifer, B-R-E-D-C-I-F-E-R. Haha, Lucifer, Brad in the front, dumb name, dumb joke, whatever, don't care. Bradsver on server, on social media, everywhere. If you want to listen to me ramble about magic online, if you want to watch me stream on Twitch at Bradsver, same thing. I stream every Saturday at noon, and sometimes I have Adrian join me randomly and be like, let's play some stupid fucking decks. So, with all that being said, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for enjoying this bonus episode of the Pioneer Perspective, now called the Yu-Gi-Oh! Perspective, I guess. Or I guess we have to make sure it's the double word thing. So I guess it'd be like the Yu-Gi-Oh! What the hell starts with a Y? What can you do? (laughs) The Yu-Gi-Oh! what? Yelling. The Yu-Gi-Oh! Yelling. The Yu-Gi-Oh! Yellow Books. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, like an encyclopedia of Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> anyway that's going to do it for us for this episode we love you all we appreciate you guys listening and uh, coming in every week and just giving us feedback on Reddit online, uh, Twitter, in the server and things like that and keep in mind we do have the new Pioneer Perspective mailbag channel available in the MTG at Home Discord server so even more reason to hop in and join if you have not already. There's already a bunch of questions on there. We're trying to get through them as much as we can for each uh, cast, at least normal cast, obviously not here. And uh, if you want us to answer any question that you want, uh, you can ask us literally anything on that. Just make sure it's not politically charged, not safe for work, or generally inappropriate. Otherwise, ask me whatever. But with that being said, thank you so much again, and we will check you all out next week. Bye-bye. Smell you later. See ya.